Well, I have you all here. I, I, I made this announcement before we started, but a lot of you were coming in after it, and it's all right. But uh, we have a very special guest with us here from Calvary Chapel Magazine in, uh, out in uh, Costa Mesa, California. And uh, uh, I think they're in Costa Mesa. But in any event, uh, her name is Geraldine, and she's taken a lot of pictures. They're going to be uh, uh, featuring us in the magazine uh, sometime in the near future. Uh, so uh, allow her to take her pictures. I know that you all are really friendly. She said that today. She said, oh, everybody's just so friendly and wants to talk to me, but I have to take my picture. I have to take my pictures. I don't want anybody to think I'm being rude, but I have to, you know. So, uh, you, you know, just, just so you'll know, she's, she's got a job to do. And she'll be coming back in here, too, as well. She's down, I think, with the kids today. So, All right. Well, with all that in mind, Genesis chapter 26, we continue on in our study of the book of Genesis and certainly now uh, focusing our attention in the life of Isaac. And uh, one thing that we've, we've learned uh, about Isaac is that he is indeed a type of Jesus Christ and has been for us, especially when we look at uh, chapter 22 of, of Genesis, where Abraham took uh, Isaac up to Mount Moriah in, a, in obedience to the Lord. And of course, he was to take him and offer him up as a sacrifice. And, and so he became the type of, of Jesus Christ for us there, uh, who was to be sacrificed for our sins and all. But uh, as we press on, this, this one chapter, chapter 26, deals primarily with the humanity of Isaac. Now, there's some important things that happen in this chapter, but what we're going to learn as we go through it in the next few weeks... What we're going to learn in the next few weeks is that uh, Isaac is indeed human. And all the men in, in the scriptures that uh, serve as types of one thing or another, uh, you know, we, we can lift them up like Abraham and say, man, he was a, the friend of God. But, you know, Abraham had his, had his struggles too. Uh, and that should encourage us because they were human. And we see a lot of the humanity of Isaac in this particular chapter and we're going to cover the first 12 verses today, but, but let's, uh, let's look at the first five verses and see how Isaac is going to deal with certain trials and tribulations. So, in Genesis 26, verse 1, it said, There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in the land, or in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of of heaven. I will give to your descendants All these lands, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. I've often wondered why some people believe that the Christian life is, and I quote, a a bed of roses or... Uh, a pie in the sky or uh, a look at life through rose-colored glasses experiences. Uh, it's really far from that, isn't it? Uh, when examined closely and certain, certainly over time, it is anything but those things. Of course, there can be no more glorious experience in this life on earth than that which is lived by faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There can be no greater joy than in knowing that our sins have been forgiven by the person and work of Jesus on the cross. And there can be no firmer foundation established for our future than Christ's conquering of sin and death by rising from the grave to secure for us who believe in Him everlasting life. Those are wonderful things that we can actually experience on this earth while we wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus. But when we really focus our attention on and examine our lives honestly... Trial after trial after trial confronts us as we journey through this life and existence. 
I think it would be fair to say that if I were to ask any of us here, if I would ask you all as a group today, that uh, how many of you came to know the Lord Jesus and at that moment in time you had no more trials in your life, no one would be able to raise their hands. But if I ask the question, how many of you, when you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, and you've been born again of the Spirit of God, it was at that moment that you began to realize how many trials you were really having. We'd all raise our hands. Because trials affect us all. Oh, we had trials before we came to Christ. But we certainly dealt with them a whole lot differently than we, had, than we deal with them today. In fact, trials are part, a part of our testimony. You know, when we give our testimonies of what Christ has done for us, we usually begin where we, where we start before uh, coming to Christ, what we did before that, but then Jesus saved us, He opened our eyes, we became uh, uh, aware and awake to the, uh, to the gospel of Jesus, we responded to Him and, and received Him into our lives, you know. But then we talk about our walk with the Lord, because our walk is a testimony. So we, we have this in, in, in our lives that, that the trials and the testings of our faith are a part of our testimony in Jesus Christ. In fact, a person's life could easily be written by headlining the major trials of their life and describing how they dealt with those trials through Christ. And this is how Isaac and his life is recorded here in Scripture. And this is the only chapter in which he's the main character. His life is covered by highlighting the trials that he had to face. We as as believers can, can learn much by applying the lessons of Isaac's trials to our own journeys upon earth. As we begin our study of chapter 26, we see the Lord testing the faith of Isaac. Now, here's the first question of the day. How will we know if Isaac passed the test? How will we know if Isaac passed the test? But this first question begs another question. And that is the one that affects us personally. How will we know if we pass the test? How will we know if we pass the test of our faith when we face trials and troubles and tribulations and temptations? How will we know? Well, when we go back to refer to Isaac about this question, we will simply see that it is in his obedience to the Lord. That he passes the test. If he passes the test. For if Isaac did not obey the Lord. Then he did not trust the Lord. If Isaac doesn't obey the Lord. Then he doesn't trust the Lord. Do do, do you all get that concept? You, you, You need to understand. If we do not obey the Lord. What we are saying is we don't trust him. You you got that right? I want to make sure you got it. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. If we do not trust or if we do not obey the Lord, then we are not trusting him. Because you see, it is in, in Peter that, 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 uh, that we see this, this, this concept a little more clear. In 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, and by the way, look at the, the reference and turn there in your Bibles, okay? Unless you have real good vision, because I, you know, I can't see those letters myself, and I'm right here underneath them. But in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So, trials come. Trials come and go. Sometimes the enemy tries us. Much of the time, the Lord is trying us. Or the Lord allows the enemy to try us so that he is indeed testing our faith as well. But listen, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, how genuine, how sincere is your faith? 
that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is going to be tested as believers. The genuineness of our faith is going to be tested as believers. The sincerity of our faith and the reality of our faith is going to be tested even by fire. And Isaac was tested in this chapter. Test one. This is the first test that he deals with and the first temptation as well. He faced loss and the temptation to forsake the land of promise. Isaac faced, was facing loss and the temptation to forsake the promised land. When we look at Genesis 26 verse 1, notice what it says. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. Now, understand that the first famine that we see mentioned in the life of Abraham was actually back in chapter 12. Where <clears throat> nothing is mentioned really that... Uh, that uh, Abraham went to the Lord when he when 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 things uh, turned to toward this this famine that took place, but it just says that he upped and took all of his people and, and Sarah his wife, and they went to Egypt. And we know what happened when they went to Egypt. Abraham got in trouble. On the way down to Egypt, he tells Sarah his wife. He says, "Listen, when we get down there, I know these people. I know how they operate." They got a weird way about them. So listen, when we get down there, don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. Because if you tell them you're my wife, they're going to kill me and they're going to take you and put, put you in Pharaoh's harem. Now, who knows what's going to happen to you, but I'm going to be killed. That wasn't a real good, that, that wasn't a real good test for, for Abraham because he didn't pass it too well. We know what happened then. But there was another thing that happened in, that, in chapter 20. And I'll, again, I'll refer to this in a moment, but... There's no mention of the famine, but nonetheless, Abraham moves again now to a place called Gerar. Gerar is not Egypt, but it's at the it, but it's at the border of Egypt. It's moving south, and it's toward Egypt. And he goes there, and another thing happens where he has to tell Sarah, "Listen, tell this king Abimelech that you're my sister, because you know they're gonna you know, the same the same scenario. He didn't learn his lesson in Egypt. He did it again there." In, in, in Gerar. And uh, so we, we know what happened. So those are the famines mentioned, but really that just refers to another famine that was taken place before this famine with Isaac. Uh, and then it says, And Isaac went uh, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. So a famine had arisen in the land, <clears throat> but take note that it was a different famine, a second famine apart from the one that Abraham had faced many years previous as as in times of apparent devastation and destitution. Take, for example, Katrina and other things that have happened here in our own country. There is a, an apparent devastation, you know, when the storms are coming, when the hurricanes are going to happen, when earthquakes take place and all of that. You know, there's an apparent uh, devastation, an apparent destitution, and it's all based upon fear. So, as in times of apparent devastation and destitution, the loss of all things affecting family and possessions, fear had obviously set in to the very heart of Isaac. Isaac became fearful. Now the opposite, the real opposite of faith is fear. Well, we can call it unfaithfulness or uh, uh, unbelief, which, which is what it is. It's based upon fear. We fear the things that we can see with our, our, our physical eyes or experience with our senses, you see. And, and fear, obviously, had set into the heart of Isaac. He was facing the loss of all that he had, his herds, his flocks, his crops. He stood on the brink of losing his wealth. And remember, he was quite wealthy. He had inherited most of his father Abraham's wealth. But now he feared losing it all. What was he to do? Stay in the promised land or forsake it and go south down toward Egypt where there was rich, fertile land and plenty of markets for his herds and his flocks. Isaac faced 
a terrible trial and temptation. The trial of losing all that he had and the temptation to distrust God. He faced the trial of losing all that he had and the temptation of distrusting God. And I can tell you this. To distrust God, which means to stop believing God and to forsake His promises, that's a test that we all face, and sometimes we face it daily. Sometimes we do face it daily. Isaac did weaken under pressure. That's kind of the gist of what's going on here. Isaac weakened under pressure. He turned from the promised land and he moved his herds and his flocks southward toward Egypt. And on the way he stopped in Gerar, which was at the time the capital of the Philistines, to ask help from a man named Abimelech, the ruler of the Philistines. Now, you know, I I titled this study Isaac, Facing Trials and Temptations, but I could have easily called it Isaac, like father, like son. Sometimes, as, as dads, you kind of would, would, you know, like that. You know, you like for people to say, you know, he's, he's my son. You can tell because he does what I do, right? That is, if you do good things, that's a, that's a good thing. But if you don't, if he's doing those bad things, something's wrong. So we know, you see, that, that Isaac was like his father in this particular case. And it's interesting that you see the first family referred to involved Abraham, which I mentioned back in chapter 12. And, and Abraham didn't do very well on that test. He traveled all the way to Egypt. He faced Pharaoh he sought, you know, who sought Sarah for his concubine. You jump to chapter 20. Abraham now ends up in Gerar facing another Abimelech, certainly an ancestor of the Abimelech of Isaac. You know, uh, one of the sons or grandsons probably. And the same scenario occurred. He feared he would be killed for Sarah. So when trouble comes, instead of seeking the Lord, instead of praying and bringing this situation before the Lord, Isaac went to the world for help. Nowhere do you see in verse 1 that Isaac sought the Lord. I believe that that's that's, uh, purposeful for us. That the Holy Spirit, through Moses, you know, writing this down, writing these accounts down in the Torah, he is, you know, he's telling us here, listen, Isaac knows me. God says, but he didn't call upon me. He didn't check out what what needed to be done. A famine is in the land. Where's the first place you should go? To God, right? We know the answer, but do we? We know the answer. We should go to the Lord, but do we go to the Lord? First time, you know, we we see a famine, the first place we want to go is where the food is. We get away from where it's not to go to where it is. But is that what God wants us to do? All the time. Isaac responded not spiritually. He responded in a very fleshly way. He got up and he left. And he went to the world for help. Folks, for the believer in Jesus Christ, the world cannot help us. Because it doesn't have the resources that our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has. Never. The world never has it. But man goes, why do we go to the world? He went to Gerar and he sought another king rather than seek the only king. And this not only happens when we're in physical need, but also many times when we have a famine of the soul and we run to the world to satisfy a need that that can only be satisfied by the Lord. What is the world going to do for us to help us when we are empty of soul and of spirit? Is the world going to be able to fill that need? No, only Jesus Christ can fill that need. You know that there are two great statements by the Apostle Paul that he gave in the fourth chapter of his letter to the Philippian church. We're we're familiar with both of those statements. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The problem is that many times we look at this scripture from a personal perspective rather than from a, from a Christ perspective. The, 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 the personal perspective is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we put the focus on us, on me, on I rather than on him. When the focus, when we read this is to say I can do all things through Christ. 
The emphasis on Jesus through Christ who strengthens us. We need to keep emphasizing Jesus in our lives. There's nothing that we, that we can merit in this life that says that we have accomplished anything in, in and of ourselves. I do not want to lessen what Christ can do for me. Therefore, I can do all things through Him and through Him only who strengthens me. The second statement is, is familiar to you all too. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your need. Whatever it is that you need, God can supply it. All your need according to His riches. There are no riches on this earth that can supply what we need spiritually in Christ. Only in Christ. Only by Him. Only by the power of His Holy Spirit. Only by the power of His Word. We have to trust the Lord. Because if we don't trust the Lord, we do not get blessed. It's to our advantage to obey the Lord and to trust Him. And to go to Him when we need things. Isaac didn't go to him. And, and, and so that awakens us to something of great importance of our knowledge of Christ. And that is this. Even when we sometimes don't go to him, God still intervenes. Thank the Lord that he's patient with us. Thank the Lord that Jesus is our intercessor and he's praying for us all the time. Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He intervenes when we don't do what we need to do. He sends a message to wake us up. And notice what we find in verse 2 here. God's intervention. Why? Because Isaac was todo... I don't know what planet Isaac was on. But he was just like... God's saying to him, why, why didn't you come to me? I don't know. But I say that only because God says that to us too. Why didn't you come to me? I don't know. Doesn't it happen to us? The Lord loves us so much. He comes to us. Don't ever think that God is not listening to you. Don't ever think that the Lord... Now, if you haven't come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, it, it would be a good time to, to start a good conversation with Him by saying, Lord, I need You. I need to, I need to stand upon You because I don't, want, I don't want to perish without You. Now I'm coming to find out I need You. Yeah, well, then get right with God. But when you get right with Him, He's going to listen to you. He's going to help us through some, some of those times when we're just a little bit wacky, you know? But the Lord appeared to Isaac, just like he appeared to Abraham. And he appears to him and he says, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. The Lord appeared to Isaac and instructed him not to go down to Egypt, but to live in the land of promise, which is the land of Canaan. Now, in scripture, the Egypt of that day was a symbol and type of the world. We could even say that Gerar was also a symbol and type of the world. But Canaan, Canaan was a symbol and type of heaven. The promised land, in other words. The promised land was a symbol and type of heaven. Remember in, in the book of Hebrews where it tells us that, uh, in chapter 11, that tells us that Abraham was, not, was looking for a city whose foundations and builder and maker is God. Not, not, a, not a city made by, by the hands of men, but whose building and foundation is God himself. It's not here on this earth. The Bible is very clear that Abraham was a sojourner. He was just passing through. And the Bible is very clear that any believer and every, any follower of Jesus Christ, we're, we're not putting roots down here anymore. Listen, we don't belong here anymore. We belong to Him and we belong to the kingdom of God. We belong to heaven. And we need to start being more heavenly minded so that we can be of more earthly good to people who need Jesus Christ until the day that Jesus Christ comes. 
But we as believers in Jesus Christ should never forsake the promised land of heaven, never turn to what may appear to be better markets offered by the world. A believer must never compromise his hope for heaven to gain the possessions and the riches of the world. The Lord would give ample warning to the children of Israel near the end of Moses' life, as he did in Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 14, where he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, listen, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, it is so easy. For people who believe in the Lord to start taking their focus off of Him and putting it on the things of this world, putting it on the, on the possessions of this world or the, or the, or the riches of this world and, and completely forget that we're no longer of this world. You know that every one of us in this room has been blessed by God. Every one of us has been blessed. We have what God has given to us. And by the way, whatever we have, it belongs to Him. But He has blessed us so that we can continue to do the work of service for the kingdom of God. Now the question is, are you doing that with what God has given you? Are you considering the fact that we don't belong to this world anymore? We belong to Jesus Christ. See, why is it that Jesus said in Matthew 6 verses 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, this is directly dealing with this very same issue. Too often we put our treasures on this earth and and that's where our heart is. And we become more earthly minded than heavenly minded. Yet the Lord says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for for yourselves treasures in heaven. They're safe there. Whatever those treasures may be. Now even the things that God blesses us with on this earth, take for example our children. They're treasures to us, right? But too often, you know, we, we, we look at them as if, you know, wow, uh, you know, we, we have, see we haven't committed them to the Lord. Today, we had a dedication. Sal and Rosie were saying, thank you for lending us this beautiful child, but he's yours. We dedicate him to you. Because our treasure is in heaven. And we want Madison to grow up, to know Christ, to have that place with us in heaven. That's laying up treasures in heaven. But sometimes we make our kids gods, folks. I'm I'm being as honest as I can be with you. In love. Yes, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Love them. Correct them. But but don't make them gods. They're not gods. They're gifts and treasures that God gives. Your focus needs to be on the one true God. And Jesus Christ. That's laying up treasures in heaven. And God will give you the wisdom and strength to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, like a trap, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Isaac took his eyes off of the Lord because he said, Man, I'm going to lose it all. So he was tempted to forsake the promised land. And God says, no, I've given you a promise, Isaac. Look at God's promise to Isaac. This is the next few verses, verses 3 through 5. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. Be where I want you to be, and I'm going to bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 
Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. You see, the Lord made this great promise to Isaac. If he would live in hope of the promised land, then God would be with him and bless him. Isaac then would receive the promises made to Abraham, the promises of of the Abrahamic covenant. The Lord had given the promises to Abraham eight different times. He gave the promises to Isaac on two different occasions in this chapter. Isn't that interesting? To Abraham, he gave the promises eight times. Kind of... Makes me feel good. I mean, the Lord's always telling me something over and over just so I can get, get it. You know, he had to do that for Abraham. With Isaac, he does it twice. And when he does it twice, he does it in this chapter, chap- chapter 26, verses 2 and 24. And the promise is that he would receive all these lands. The same promise he gave to Abraham. He would receive the promised seed. The promise that he gave to Abraham. Bear nations through his offspring. He would receive the promised seed of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Promised Abraham. Isaac's seed, you see, his offering, would bless all nations of the earth through the Savior. The single seed, speaking of Jesus Christ. But I want you to know God's reason for giving these great promises to Abraham. Verse 5 tells us, because Abraham was faithful to God. Abraham was faithful to God. Abraham obeyed God. You see, his faithfulness. Was Abraham human? Yes, he was, wasn't he? Did did Abraham make a few mistakes in his life? Yeah, he made a a, a few. Very uh, uh, grievous mistakes, as it were. But nonetheless, he learned from these mistakes. And he was a faithful man. He trusted God. He believed God. He was a friend of God. Abraham didn't have the written law of God to follow. Most of you came in here with a Bible. I hope that most of you will leave here with a Bible as well. And that you read it every day. But Abraham didn't have a Bible like we have today. He had an inner witness of God, yes. He had an instinctive knowledge of God in his conscience and in his thoughts. But most of all, he had both the privilege of prayer and God's presence to teach and to guide him day by day and step by step. That's how close Abraham was to God. When he drew near to God, God drew near to him. Abraham kept certain things that I want you to see. Abraham kept, first of all, the charge of God, as our text mentions. He kept the charge of God, which is God's call to service. If you are today a believer in Jesus Christ, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, at some point of time in your life, God is calling you to service. He doesn't call just some people to service who are believers. He calls all believers to service. The question is, are you responding to the call of God? Are you responding to the charge of God? Secondly, Abraham kept the uh, commandments of God. Primarily, the commandment of God to Abraham was, separate yourself from Ur of the Chaldees, from your family. Separate yourself from the world. And follow me. Separate yourself from the world and follow me. He called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham leaves uh, Ur and then he goes on to Haran. There again God calls him. Notice how faithful God is and how consistent God is. He called him out of Haran. He gets out of Haran to go to the promised land. But he followed the Lord and he believed God. Thirdly, uh, Abraham kept the statutes of God. This would be him keeping what God had decreed. Uh, One thing in particular that he kept was the rite of circumcision, as God had commanded him to keep. And then fourthly, he kept the laws of God, the rules of instruction to learn And to pass on. And this is something that I know that you need to remember. That when God teaches us 
the things that he wants us to know about our walk in Christ. These are things that we are to also teach to others, especially our family, to especially bring, uh, teach them to our children. But we are to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody that we can until the day of Christ. So, the law of God has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ, the Bible says. And on him hang all the law and the prophets. Therefore, the whole of the word of God is important for us to know. But we have been saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, what all of this has said is, Abraham was faithful. Abraham was wholeheartedly obedient to God. Wholeheartedly obedient to God. What have we learned so far? This is something we're going to learn throughout the whole of this chapter. But what we've learned is that Isaac was actually only half-hearted in his obedience. Isaac was only half-hearted. And we can tell that by that simple little verse of Scripture, verse 6. Five words. So, Isaac dwelt in Gerar. He obeyed God but only partially. He didn't go down to Egypt, but neither did he return to Canaan. He stayed in Gerar, which was on the border with Canaan, right at the entrance into Egypt. Now, clearly this was not only a wrong decision, but it was a rebellious one. Consider, first of all, that the word dwelt there, in verse 6, is the Hebrew word yashab. And it speaks of settling down to remain there, to set up your home there. In other words, let's put some roots down here. The Lord used a totally different word in verse 2 to tell him to only be there temporarily. A totally different word. So this word is quite uh, indicative of the heart of Isaac. He was only half-hearted. In his obedience to God. So this is outright disobedience. Which brings us to the second trial. Trial number two. Facing danger and fear by lying and acting selfishly. Notice that there is a trial and a temptation. Uh, temptation. The trial is to face the danger, uh, to face danger and fear. And being tempted to lie and to act selfishly. So... A trial and a temptation. Temptations will always go hand in hand with trials. So let's look at these verses of Scripture down to verse 11. And the men of the place, speaking of Gerar, asked about his wife. And he said, she's my sister, for he was afraid to say she's my wife because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebecca because she is beautiful to behold. Like father, like son. Right? Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window. And he saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Kind of an endearment that most brothers wouldn't show to their sisters. That word endearment there, meaning it's a little bit closer than you described earlier. And then Abimelech called Isaac. Whoops. Can I have that back? Thank you. Press the wrong button. Here we go. We're almost there. Here, I'll, 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 I'll move us along here pretty quick. Uh, just for those who need some review. <laughs> All right. Almost there. Nine. There we go. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously she is your wife, so how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, Lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. A lack of faith, a lack of trust in God and in Christ 
causes people to do things to protect themselves or to gain something. Isaac learned well from his father Abraham as he followed in his footsteps and he lied to the Philistines saying that Rebekah was his sister because he was afraid they would kill him and take her. Now stop and think for a moment. Didn't the Lord just reestablish the covenant with Isaac? Didn't the Lord just tell him, listen, Isaac, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. You go back to the land where I want you to be, and I'm going to bless you. And, and, and you're going to have all of the, the promises that I gave to your father Abraham. They're all, going to be, they're all going to be yours. They're going to come to pass. You can trust me on this. Yes, Isaac may have believed the Lord, but in this situation, he thought he needed to help God out, so he lied. I can't die. God's promise that I, I need to go on. I can't die. Let me help God out here. Sound familiar? Like father, like son. There's Abraham and Sarah wanting to help God out. We're both pretty old now. We, we, you know, way beyond the childbearing years. So, you know what, Abraham? Let me give you my handmaiden, Hagar. She'll come in and, and you'll have a child. That's not the child God wanted to give them. Trying to help God out doesn't help God out. And definitely doesn't help us. And he lied. And so as we saw in our study of Abraham, a half-truth is still a half-lie, isn't it? A half-truth is still a half-lie. And the scriptures tell us that the devil is the father of lies. That doesn't help us, does it? And help us to lie. Because it causes us to sink down into the level of the enemy. This was sinking quite low for a man who grew up not only knowing about God, but knowing God himself. I'm sure that Isaac heard all the great, wonderful stories that Abraham taught to him. About how the Lord had brought that promise even at that old age. Isaac said, I, I know him. I know that God. My father taught me of him. But like father, like son, sometimes in our flesh and in our humanity, we pick up the wrong things to do. You know, after a long time had passed, getting back to our account here, as our account tells us, Abimelech was looking out his window and he saw Isaac and Rebekah. And as the King James puts it, he saw Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. That's an interesting way, sporting with her. Uh, but they, he was indeed showing an endearment toward her that was greater than what a brother and a sister would do normally. So obviously Abimelech saw that they were not brother and sister, and by their behavior, he knew that they were husband and wife. So once again, notice a pagan king rebukes a man of God. The king charged Isaac with endangering him and his people. The thought seems to be that the God of Isaac would have judged the Philistines if they had taken Rebekah and sinned with her. Now, this pagan king to whom morality would not normally be a great, of great concern, uh, actually feared the God of Isaac. Which at least, in this, at least in this particular case, Isaac didn't fear the God of Isaac, but the pagan king did. And what's even more sad for us today is that a fear, that fear of the Lord is missing in the hearts of so many people today, even in the church. We need to have a proper and healthy fear of the Lord. We need to have a proper and healthy fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? We're told in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How many of you want wisdom? I think we all should want wisdom from God. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord is to reverence Him, to bow to Him, to respect Him in awe and in all of His greatness and realize He alone is what is awesome, not anything we do or what man says. God is awesome. Therefore, He's worthy of our reverence. He's worthy of our respect. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. That's the fear that a lot of people don't have today. 
And a lot of it is, comes because we don't study the Word of God. We don't realize that the Word, everything that the Word says is for our good. To learn it, to learn more about the, the relationship we have with God. And it's a beautiful relationship. You know that God makes Himself available for us to know. He's not like the gods of the world. He's the only true God who says, makes Himself known. And wants us to know Him. Well, let's finish off here. Abimelech goes on to correct this sin. Listen to this. Abimelech goes on to correct the sin of Isaac. More than likely because he didn't want to lose the wealth and trade that Isaac brought to the city. And so he made this public proclamation throughout the whole country that protected Isaac and Rebekah. He made it a capital crime, in other words, punishable by death to harm either one of them. And even as God protected his father Abraham, even in the midst of sinful conduct, which is not telling you go out and do sinful things, but in the midst of even in this sinful conduct, Isaac was protected and Isaac prospered. You know what that does? I tell you this a thousand times. If I tell you once, that should humble you. That God will protect you even after great committing great sin. But Isaac was protected and he prospered. Notice verse 12 now. Then Isaac sowed in that land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Listen, God blessed Isaac in order to secure him and his offspring more and more in the promised land. This was coming after a time of famine, and Isaac reaped a hundredfold. But it started by what he sowed. If you want to reap a harvest, you have to sow seed into the field. You don't reap if you don't sow. You, you can see it in your business. If you, if you don't invest in your business, it's hard to see your business grow. You see it in your relationships. Relationships require work. Marriages, folks, require work. Our friendships require work. Our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, it requires work. It requires us to sow good seed into these relationships. If you stop sowing into your relationships, they become fallow ground. And what is fallow ground? It's hard ground upon which nothing grows. You can see it in God's kingdom. Our walk uh, with the Lord requires that we sow into it. If we want to see fruit in our lives, we need to be sowing the right kinds of things into the fields of our hearts. If we want to see our church grow, we need to sow into this church. We need to sow into our, our fellowships. Not only from our first fruits, but from our service. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9, He said, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We need to grow in God's wisdom and grace, but never to grow weary. You know, it's already March. I can't believe how fast this year is going. But it was just a couple of months ago that we were talking about the vision that God gave us for this church. For the the year 2013, and the vision was very clear. The vision was, we begin strong and we end stronger. Which means that we're not going to find ourselves crawling into 2014. Oh, I can't wait till we get to the new year. Then we'll make new resolutions and all that. No. We need to resolve every day that we're going to get stronger in the Lord because we're going to spend more time with the Lord. We're going to spend more time in service to the Lord. We're going to spend more time in devotion to the Lord and in reading the Word of God and in believing the Word of God and in trusting the Lord and letting the work of the Spirit of God in us do His work through us. We want to be stronger at the end of this year, not weaker, stronger. We need to work at that. But we need to not grow weary while doing good. Well, we've got to begin by doing good. We need to start sowing in, into our ministries. But let me close with this because it's time for us to, to, to close this particular portion of the chapter. But I want, I want to read to you from James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. And we'll, clo- we'll close with this. 
And again, James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. It says, therefore, submit to God. Stop there. What we discovered at the beginning of this chapter 26 of Genesis is Isaac did not submit to God. He submitted to his fears. But the scripture says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This beginning of the chapter that we're studying in Genesis gives us an indication that Isaac did not draw near to God. He drew near to the world. But if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. That is a promise, folks. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And then it says, cleanse your, heart, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Remember that James is writing to the church. He's not writing to unbelievers. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He says, let's get real about what we're doing. Isaac needed to get real with God again. Because he had turned to the world. But the world now is rebuking him. The world was trusting more in what God said than what, uh, you know, uh, what Isaac believed that God had said. And the point here is not that we're supposed to be, you know, that every Christian has, you know, can't smile, we can't laugh, we can't have joy. No, that's not it. We just need to deal with where we are when we don't trust the Lord. So we need to bring ourselves before the Lord. And you know what the Lord says? What a beautiful thing. He says, you know what? My son died on the cross for this. And he shed his blood to forgive you of it. Now that you're aware of it, go and sin no more. So then he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. If Isaac had only just humbled himself before the Lord, none of these trials would have caused him to fail. He would have passed the test with flying colors. And we will pass the tests that we face with flying colors when we humble ourselves. And trust the Lord. Because if we do not obey the Lord, as He leads us and guides us through the power of His Holy Spirit, through the wisdom of His Word, then we are saying we don't trust Him. May I encourage you? You can trust Jesus. You can trust the Lord. And if you need Jesus today, trust in Him to change your life completely and for good and forever. Amen? Let's pray.